it's really important to to live by your own view of what success is. I think success looks different for different people. It's not just about making money. And I think that it is important to live and to listen, to, to, to truly listen to yourself and to what makes you tick and what makes you happy because you really truly will never, never work a day in your life if you're doing what you love. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor. Today, I've got my new friend, Virgie Scafino Kennedy, the founder of Lux Voyage. Virgie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Steve, and thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and excited to chat with you. Well, Virgie, we start every show the exact same way. What was your first job in hospitality? My first job in hospitality, you could say was at around 17 or 18 years old, I established a catering company. It was really, I had no idea what I was doing. I remember actually my first client, you know, somebody was doing a launch and I I love to cook. And so they said, you know, can you just produce all the food for this, for this launch of this, you know, big gym that they were doing? And I said, sure. And I went to the supermarket, gathered the pricing of, you know, my raw materials. And then I went back to them with a price and the person came back to me and said, this is too cheap. <laughs> There's no way that you're even doing this right. So, you know, that was, that was my first, my first. And then just after that experience, I just launched this company and kind of through my first years of law school, I was, I had this sort of side hustle, this catering business. And today it, it's still operating. My mom runs it. She is a you know kick-ass woman and, and she it's, it's a big company in the Dominican Republic and it's still going on, although I have nothing to do with it anymore for a long time now. Wow, it's amazing. So you built something that's still lasting. We won't say how many years later, so we won't <laughs> sit near your age, but what was it that made you want to start it? Were you like a big fan of cooking when you were a, a small child? Because I have a small daughter now, she's seven and she loved baking and cooking. Was that something you were always doing? I did. I was always kind of doing things in the kitchen, cooking for friends, baking cookies. At that time, uh, you know, the big thing that I was into were these kind of cookies with a Hershey's kiss inside. And so they, they're sort of like the Mexican wedding cookies, but with a, with a kiss inside. 
And to be honest, what propelled me is I, I just wanted to have money of my own. <laughs> I just didn't want to be asking my parents for, for money. So it was just a, a way of, of me becoming a little independent and also doing something that I loved. That's very cool. So you mentioned that you were doing it while you were in law school. Yeah. So it wasn't something that you saw doing as a long-term goal. You wanted to become an attorney, it sounds like. I, I don't know how much uh, will there was in, in going into law school. It was a kind of like a mandate in my family that everybody had to go into law school. So I, I'm the youngest of four siblings and they all went to law school. My cousins went to law school. None of us are actual practicing attorneys. I think I was the only one that actually practiced for about 12 years. So there wasn't a lot of choice. I don't think I really thought I wanted to be an attorney. It was just what I had to do. <laughs> I, I was very much figuring it out. Actually, I'm married to an attorney. My brother's an attorney. My dad's an attorney. I went the other route. So I got into hospitality, which was more fun. It definitely is more fun. So you are doing this. Do you do any other businesses when you come out of college? Because you, you do law. Were you doing side businesses during your law career? No. So during my law career, that was sort of my only side business. And my mom also got involved with that. And as my law career, like my law studies became more demanding, I sort of, I said, I can't do this. I got out. It was still kind of both of our names together in it. But definitely towards the end of law school, she was the one that was really running the show. And I was just kind of, you know, advising or tasting or trying out things. But she was really the one that was doing that. And then I, I practiced for a few years in the DR. And then I moved to the United States where I went kind of just furthered my legal degree. And I went into I did my LLM. I went to Georgetown and graduated from there and was very focused on my legal career. I yeah. passed the New York bar and, you know, was working in, in DC for a while. And then I, I, even though like, as those years went by, as much as I was doing that with great focus and intensity, I just wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't, I wasn't happy. I mean, I did work with amazing people. I mean, to this day, some of the, my greatest mentors, the greatest people that I worked with were you know, the partners that I worked with in, in the law firms that I did, like they taught me so much of, you know, business ethic and client ethic and, and a lot of the, um, the, the things that I feel like my clients are drawn to how I operate. I definitely attribute it to, to the, the teachers I had in my legal career who were my bosses, basically. What kind um, of law were you practicing when you were doing it? I practiced international finance law. So I was a project finance attorney. And it, I mean, it was really interesting. The kind of work that I was doing was also intense. You know, I was basically sleeping in the law firm and I had a toothbrush and deodorant there because it'd be like three or four in the morning and I was churning out documents and, and things like that. Um, I'm sure you got to keep your billable hours up and make sure you're looking good with that and developing business. It's a lot of work that people don't know about. A hundred percent. It's a lot of work. And, and even though I was already a lawyer, uh, when I started working in the U.S., you're you're starting from zero. You know, you're you're really starting with first year, uh, you know, law school associates. Yeah, first year associates, exactly. So it was during those legal days. You know, at one point there, I moved from D.C. to New York. I took a year off of practicing law, basically, and I moved to New York with in a pseudo sabbatical to sort of figure it out and. 
I went into the New York University food studies program thinking that food is my thing. I want to I, I knew that I didn't want to cook food because the experience with the catering business did teach me that I love cooking. I mm-hmm. love food, but I this is definitely not the side of hospitality that I want to be at. Like I, I don't cooking for other people. So but I was still very curious and passionate about food. And I was 100 percent sure that I was meant to be doing something in food. And I just didn't know what it was. So I moved from D.C. to New York, took a year off, and I entered into this studies, food studies program at NYU. And in the middle of the program, I tap into Marion Nessel, who, you know, she's a very big kind of food policy writer. And I think, wow, this is great. I can merge my legal knowledge with food policy. And I, I actually ended up writing the... Um, calorie labeling for New York with her. Wow. So yeah, so that that wasn't a thing back then. And you know, if you if you Google this, if you look at those white papers, you'll see her name and my name there. Um, and she's definitely an eminence. I mean, I, I, I learned a lot from her. Uh, but at some point midway through the program that I was studying, I ended up teaching a food policy class. All right. So I want to rhyme two steps. So you're at yeah. the law firm, you're showering and sleeping under your desk does something happen where you're like i gotta get out of here is there like a moment where you're like i'm done with this or it's it was something different well it was definitely building up it was definitely building up in me that that sort of like lack of satisfaction but uh there was a period there where the law firm that i was working imploded and you know this was one of the biggest law firms back in the day so it was a big thing it was like one of the first international law firms in the world they were global and i did go work for the partner that i was working with at the time uh who who still to this day is you know one of my you know greatest friends and and mentors as well and that happened and i didn't immediately leave when that happened uh, I continued working with her, with the, with the partner that I was already working with. But that was kind of a little bit of a, of a segue there that I just kind of said. I did have, to a more direct question, which I think I side-skirted, I did have a, a medical thing that, that kind of shook me. Um, I, I was 27 years old, and I discovered I, I had an ovarian tour. And that took me out of the workspace, and it took me out of the sort of rat race that I was in. Uh, I went to New York. I took a train in New York for a medical checkup, thinking that I was going to come back the same day. And the doctor was like, you can't leave here. Like, this is so big. This can explode. (laughs) So what ended up being like a, you know, three-hour visit ended up being like two months because it was, you know, it was large and it was like a big, big thing. And I think just kind of having that uh, medical scare, if you will, and that pause in that kind of pause in my life to just sort of think and and kind of look. I wasn't it wasn't cancer. I wasn't close to death, but it's a big thing. I thought I was in the top of the world. You know, I was twenty seven. I thought I had my whole life before me, and then all of a sudden this happens. And I think that just kind of having that pause in my life, there's a some sort of switch flipped where I realized, you know, I do need to live more consistently with who I am, with what my goals are. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew that the what I was doing was not it. And so that is really the, 
the yeah. real thing that happened that kind of made me want to do the switch. I appreciate you sharing that with me and to all of us, because I know there's people out there that it may not be a medical thing. It might be a life thing. Life happens to all of us, right? And sometimes you just get to step back and be like, hey, what do I really want to do with my time here? Right? Yeah. And sounds like that's what happened. Yeah. So exactly. you start studying food, you're, you're doing the calorie labels and, and writing about it, which doesn't really sound too exciting to me, but maybe very exciting for you. What yeah. starts happening from there? Yeah. So from there, I realized, you know, this, this isn't it. Like, this sounds exciting. Like, I am kind of merging these two things that I like. You know, I, I definitely am interested in food policy and, and all that. Uh, but even though as I was doing it, you know, this was yet one more sort of trial. Like, is this it? Do I like it? And while I was good at it and, and I, I, you know, I wrote the, and I was the first person that taught this class at NYU on international food policy. I wrote the syllabus. I taught the class to other kind of graduate and undergraduate students. Um, but you know that I was just at this point after what I had been through with my health, I think I was quite in touch with my intuition and, and I will re really listen to myself. And I, and I knew that it wasn't it. But then I didn't know what was it either. <laughs> so at that point, uh, my year was sort of running out and I met my husband uh, or I met my future husband uh, who happened to be a chef. And, <laughs> well, you know, so I'm like, oh, you know, here I am doing food studies and I love food. And I happened to meet this guy who's also a chef. And, at, you know, there was a point there where I kind of needed to go back to work. Mm -hmm. And I found an amazing law firm called Axiom, uh, which was for lawyers like me who had sort of passions in life and wanted to continue to practice law, but also kind of pursue their passions. So I started working with them. But the entire time that I was working with them, I developed another side hustle and I created a company called Perfect Bike NYC. And I wasn't doing any kind of marketing. This was just total leisure. You know, people would come to New York and I would do food tours with them. Now, these weren't food tours that you could Google and there was nothing like this. I would just take you on walks of places that I liked to eat. And, you know, I, this was just like total word of mouth. Like, you know, people would come visit New York and I would spend three hours with them and we would taste and talk and taste and talk. And, and that was. <laughs> Let me rewind here. Okay. Yeah. I like, this. this is an important piece for listeners. Okay. You're lawyer at Axiom. Yeah. Do you put out a website? Do you just start telling friends like, Hey, if anyone wants to come on a food tour, I'm going to go to this brunch and this lunch and this mm -hmm. dinner. How do you start getting people to walk around with you? So I think the first person might have been like a, a cousin of mine, for, you know, from the DR. Like coming in from um, the DR, like, let's go. Yeah, let's go, you know, let's go walk. And then, you know, he, I, if I recall correctly, I think he might have had some, might have had some friends there and, and whatnot. And then, you know, a few months later, I get a call from this magazine a publisher was like, oh, you know, I heard that you're doing this. Like, can we do it? I'm like, sure. There, there's no website. There's no <laughs> marketing. Called you, so one of the friends said something. To one of, yeah, my cousin basically said something to someone. Uh, and then that's how sort of the word of mouth started. So you get this call. You're like, I guess I, yeah, I do that. Absolutely. 
Let's go. And this, this, what you just said, has been the story for everything. Like, I get a call and I'm like, but I'll give it a call. And then this is, this is how I get to this. I like point. this. I like this. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was, again, nothing formal. I didn't even call the places ahead of time. I'm just like, this is my walk of like my favorite bites in New York. And we are going to spend the next three hours grazing. And that's that's what it was. And this sort of kept happening. You know, I, I was a lawyer by day, uh, you know, food tours on the weekends. Uh, and I was so obsessed with food that actually as a lawyer, I used to work for free at Murray's Cheese, the, uh, Murray's Cheese, like my favorite cheese store in New York. And all so that I could have access to the back of the house uh, cheese storage. <laughs> we were bartering law for the cheese. Yeah. I like it. So yeah. when you're doing these tours, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm jumping in. I'm just no, so curious now because yeah. I love these origin stories of just how you, people can make money that they don't even know they can. When did you start or did you ever start charging for this service? How did that come up? I think if I recall correctly, I think I started charging at the time, maybe like $250 or $300 per person. Uh, and to be honest, I don't even know if I was making money out of it. Like, it was just right. so much fun. You know, I was probably breaking even on these tours. But yeah, I I, I don't... I it, And also, it was so spontaneous. You know what I mean? Like, we go to a place, like, I, I might have had an idea of, okay, these are the costs. But if we were somewhere and somebody said they wanted to try the crab with whatever, like we were going to order it. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't a very uh, strict taste. I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Just uh, we're going to go check out some cool places. Let's go for a walk. Exactly. Those are the best, those are the best kind of days too. Yeah. All right. Exactly. So sorry. Continue on your story. You're building it up. You got it going. The side yes, hustle. Going. I'm getting going and, you know, I have the side hustle. And then one day. I get another call from these guys who run a private jet chartering business. And they're like, hey, you know, we we have these clients coming to New York. We want the food, but we also just want like experiences in New York. And I'm like, oh, okay, I live here. I should be able to do this. And it was very over the top. So they they just wanted everything super VIP, everything exclusive, everything behind the scenes. So I just with contacts, I pulled together different things. I pulled together this sort of fashion experience with a friend of mine who worked at Intermix. We got bodyguards for them. You know, they they also went on the perfect bite you know, NYC food tour with me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they stayed at top hotels. And this is the kicker. They stayed at the Greenwich Hotel in New York. And, uh, you know, their top suite, just really awesome experience. And I might be mixing the order stories here, but anyway, they stayed at the Greenwich okay. Hotel. And a few months after they stay at the Greenwich Hotel. I, I get a check in the mail from the Greenwich Hotel. And I'm like, what, what is this? Like, why are you paying me? <laughs> mm -hmm. They're like, oh, this is your commission from, you know, this booking. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea I could be making money this way. And that, you know, that kind of stayed there. And But I, like, I was charging people for, for what I was doing. I had no idea that 
I would earn a commission from making a booking at a hotel. I mean, I was actually a lawyer. I was focused on other stuff. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so then the same, the same uh, sort of private charter company, uh, after this New York trip, it was a success. They're like, hey, you know, our client wants to go to uh, Paris and London and Rome. Can you help us plan the trip? And in the same way as before, I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I didn't, I, of course I travel. I know how to go about planning a trip. But again, this was also very over the top. Like these clients were looking to close museums for themselves. You know, they were looking for like really uh, exclusive experiences. So uh, I jumped into that. And thankfully, because of my legal career, I know people from different places. Actually, like my landlord in New York was from Italy. So I just reached out to her and told her and just kind of calling people and get it. I ended up kind of plugging into different. Yeah, figuring it out. As you Um, went. So here I want to reverse back. I love this story so much already. So you get this call. Probably they saw you in a magazine or the words out from somebody. You get these super high end clients, which is amazing. Did you feel any kind of nerves or excitement when you get this phone call to be like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. Or it's like, no, I got this. I could book this trip. And how do I know what to charge them? Is there a contract? You're a lawyer. I'm sure you could whip that up really quick. Like, how did you figure out that first one? Because I think for a lot of people out there, they always overthink things. You and I are similar. We're like, yeah, we'll figure this out. How did you do that? You know what? I, I definitely had nerves because I was like, all right, like these people are spending a lot of money on this trip. Like you can't just like BS your way out of this, you know, like you, yeah. you have to deliver. So I, I always call that kind of like healthy nerves, like healthy fear, that kind of fear that propels you forward where you sink or swim and you just better swim. And, and that, you know, that fear was definitely there. And that fear just to me just really translates into this sort of intense propelling me forward. And I think my productivity at the law firm, don't tell this to anyone, might have probably gone. Wow, I was developing new clients. Yeah, I was doing a lot of business development. I was doing a lot of business development at this time. So I I just devoted a, a crazy amount of work. And you know, at this time also, you know, I was in this relationship with my then boyfriend, boyfriend. Okay. Uh, husband, boyfriend. And, you know, he, because he was a chef, I had all this time at night. I didn't really, I didn't, you know, I had no one to go out with because he was working. So while I was working during the day in the legal job, I had all this time at night to devote to this, uh, to devote to this sort of side hustle. What I would attribute it really is to my network, uh, which I never purposefully set out to build a network. Uh, but I think, you know, looking back, different people that I met in different scenarios then became these kind of key resources for me in putting me in touch with resources in these different countries that then helped me really pull this off. And, and we pulled it off. That's awesome. So it goes really well. They asked you now to do a global tour for these people. We won't, yep. we won't say who they are, but I'm imagining who they are right now. Some pretty powerful, popular people. But you got that first check on the first one. Did you now think like, all right, I've got a model here. They're paying me up front. Did you start 
calling these hotels, asking, hey, do you pay commissions too? Or did you figure out the business by then? You know, at that point, I didn't uh, because, for example, for this one trip, you know, they were staying in homes. I wasn't, I was so focused on like pulling it off with the sort of the actual experiences internally that I didn't really uh, focus on. Let me see how I can then get a commission from this guy. And also I was, I, I was charging really well to sort of to the immediate client. So I was kind of, fine with that for that for this first trip <laughs> i guess and yeah. how do you figure that part out and you say hey i'm gonna just shoot a number out there and it's a couple thousand of people or ten thousand a person was there a number that you just threw out i just charged 20 percent, 20 percent of of whatever the the spend was, it was. all right so yeah. easy so it goes great again i assume correct yep and what happens <laughs> now how do we start evolving into where you are today so with this with this one client, uh, they just became kind of like my end on end all be all. Uh, you know, all of a sudden I had a lot of business from this sort of private jet charter and I, I was their person and they were my client. And so basically I was doing things for them. I mean, it wasn't a ton of business because, you know, at the end of the day, I did have a, a day job, but I was doing a lot of work for them in different cities. And by then, I had figured out that, oh, yeah, I can get a, a you know, a, a commission. But I don't know if you're from, I mean, I guess you are familiar with the IATA. Why don't you explain to the listeners? So for us that don't know what that is, why don't you give us a little 30 second or minute download on the Great. travel agency world? 30 second thing of the IATA, it's, it's, it's a number, uh, it's a registration with the sort of international transportation sort of body that identifies you as a person in the hospitality industry. And it is with the IATA number uh, that hotels and other service suppliers identify you. And it is with the IATA that your sort of commissions get registered. Uh, so having an IATA number identifies you as a player in the hospitality industry. And at that time, I didn't have one and I didn't even know what it was. So then again, you know, I would call a hotel and they would say, sure, you know, give us your IATA. And, you know, as I'm holding the phone with, you know, my ear and my my shoulder, I'm Googling what is an IATA number. And, um, and I'm like, I am in the process of getting it. I will send that to you shortly. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how it went. You know, then I'm in New York. By this point, you know, I'm married. I have two kids and we decide that we're going to move to Philadelphia. We move to Philadelphia where the, the cost of living from New York is, is a lot lower. Uh, so I'm like, oh, you know, maybe this is a great opportunity for me to actually embark in this and, you know, in this thing. Because by, yeah. by, then, uh, by then I was realizing that, you know what, it's, it's not food. It's not food food, what I meant to be doing. I was like, you know, I, I realized how passionate I was about organizing travel, about connecting with people and understanding who they are, how they like to travel and what inspires them. And, and I kind of became a little addicted to that feeling of like getting this challenge and making it happen and then seeing sort of how fulfilling it was for them. So I guess I kind of went a, a little bit forward, but, but that, that was it sort of when I, there was a one point there when I thought my thing was food and I thought that, oh, I'm going to do food tours for the rest of my life or, you know, this is it. Uh, how, how can I make money from food tours? 
how can I survive off of this? There was at that one point when I was planning trips for these clients all over the world that I realized, you know what? It's, it's not food. Like food is just one component of it. What, what I really love is that connection, is that thing where I, where I feel like I have a hand and I have a say in these people's life experiences and how it brings them together as a family. And I have something to do with these memories that they're creating uh, for them. And, and I, that was it. Like at some point in that process, I realized that kind of, I found it. This is what I've been looking for for 10 years. <laughs> Gosh, that's amazing. If, and listeners, if you write that for 30 seconds, anyone that loves hospitality is going like, to give you some version of that story that Birdie just said, because it's true. It's an addiction. You get this like high off of creating memories for people that they're going to remember forever. Exactly. And you were a part of it. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I do like that's, that is what drives me and everybody that works in our company. That's what propels us all forward and, and drives us every day to, to do our best. I love that. So I want to get to the point now. I could talk to you forever, but I want to get to the point now where you decide, because this is hard for a lot of people who have full-time jobs that maybe have some side hustles out there. When do you decide that's like, all right, I could do this full-time? How does that start happening? So when I moved to Philly, uh, and already I had sort of like this three-year relationship with this private jet company, uh, we had come into the a verbal agreement that we were going to do this together and we were going to be one. And, th you know, they were my only client. I, did, I didn't work for anybody, like didn't do this for anybody else. And even though I was a lawyer, I did what I would tell people not to do. I left my job because we already had this verbal agreement that we were going to just do this on a larger scale and we were going to have a partnership of, you know, kind of providing these services to a, sort of like a broader network. And when I quit my job and it was time to actually put things into paper, they had another idea, uh, which was not in line with what we had been talking about. And, and, and again, it was, it was like, uh, I, would, I would never advise anybody to do that. You know, you have to have things on paper before. And as a lawyer, I knew that very well. But I, I guess I just trusted this relationship that I had with this company and the, you know, the guys around this company. And, you know, it was, it was a terrible situation, uh, but one that I'm very thankful for. So I, you know, I was at this point, just moved to Philly. We had two kids. We had a mortgage. Uh, my husband at the time, uh, you know, his goal was, you know, he was going to open restaurants. So he also took a pause from his job uh, because he was going to open his restaurants, you know. So he was in that process, which, I, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, you know, what that is. And I was going to be the one that was working making and money. Yeah. making money. And I said, no, like, I can't move forward with these people. Like, it is not, you know, this kind of switched the whole thing on me. So there was a point there where I had zero income. And both sides, yeah, in the on household. On both sides, on both sides. And we had the kids had to pay this mortgage. It was very, very, very scary. Uh, and they were my only clients. So by abandoning them, I also had no business. So at this point, uh, I decide, you know what? I just, I got to put this out there. So, you know, I created a website 
I got some wording together, got some of my, you know, writing friends to kind of clean it up and do some copyright. And I send it out to the universe and everybody that I knew and everybody who was email I had. And I send out this thing saying, you know, this is this is Lux Voyage. Welcome to the world. This is what we're doing. And, you know, it was like a few weeks, a few months uh, before anything happened. Uh, but I got one call from this one person that I knew. You know, everybody that first called me is people that I know because this is who right. I, I sent it out to. So I got this one call from a family friend uh, to plan their multi-generational trip to Spain. And, you know, and by this point, uh, I had figured out what an IATA was and I figured out more or less what one needed to do to... <laughs> To, to start a company. Uh, but you, I, never, you never worked at a traditional travel agency. You never trained and you just kind of created it yourself. W- indeed. And, and let me tell you that I can say that for the first one or two years, oh, you made so many mistakes, so many mistakes. So at this point, I actually connect with, well, not connect because I'd always been connected with her, but my one of my business partners uh, today, her name is Lisa Maya. She's been my friend for forever, my, my childhood friend, and she lives in the Dominican Republic. And at this point, she was sort of dabbling in it and she was helping me out a little bit with, you know, with, with the trips, uh, especially because I was sort of had this dual career and she starts getting the bug. <laughs> she starts feeling like, oh, you know, I kind of like this too. And, you know, it was at that point when I sort of stopped working, you know, sort of lost this company where she said, you know, I let's do it. Let's do this together. And and then that's when we kind of like formally became, you know, founding partners of what today is, is Lux Voyage. And, you know, I know that there are a lot of people out there that say, oh, never get in business with your friends. But I, I mean, she and I have just had the ha- just have the most amazing relationship, the most amazing experience as partners. And, and I'd be happy to give a ton of advice on that because that for, she and I are, are, are a great success story in terms of the relationship, not just the, the, the business. So anyway, I sent this email out. One person reaches out. Uh, and it's this huge multi-generational trip. And again, you know, mistake number one, I get this quote. I find this company in Spain who's going to help us plan this trip. I get their quote and I send it off to the client on a net rate without any commission. Okay. Game over. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> Game over for me. But yeah. And, you know, of, of course, it, it didn't matter at that point. We were learning uh, again. We had amazing partners on the ground. They helped us execute a kick-ass trip. And these clients are still our clients, uh, you know, still to today. And we're at, you know, eight years going. So, yeah, that's what I love hearing. Like some advice I got is like your first five to 10 clients is really, you're lucky they're paying you because you're learning what you're doing as you're building up whatever business it is. So hundred percent focus on the great service. Exactly. And that is, that is what we did. I mean, we're like, oh, we made zero. We didn't make any money. We, we need to be paying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is your education. Just lucky everything went good. But yeah. you see, you mentioned it's been eight years since you started. Yeah. And how big is your team now? 
Uh, so right now we're a team of nine, and I, I kind of say nine and a half because our we have a, a finance team that's that's sort of uh, they're they're sort of subcontracted. They have other businesses that they work with, but we very much consider them part of our team, and and we love them. So we're a team of nine and a half. <laughs> so for you, mm-hmm. as you're building, because for a lot of people they're a one person business, and you had a partner, which is a another part of dealing with somebody, but then you start adding people little by little into your company that you've built. Yeah. How do you look and hire for people to make sure that they don't ruin what you've made and that you actually bring in good people? What do you look for? That is an incredible challenge. And we have learned a lot throughout these last eight years. There's there's been a lot of trial and error then. You know, when you interview someone, they can go through four rounds of interviews and people will say uh, the things that you want to hear them say. And I thought I was a great interviewer uh, doing behavioral interviews and trying to test for the skills that we need, you know, attention to detail and and the sort of passion for the job and, you know, forethought creativity. And we have done a lot of bad hires. I mean, we've hired a lot of people that they, will, they can't have them for more than three months. The one that has made a big difference in how we hire now we we uh my my husband's hospitality industry they hospitality company they use this predictive index test and that has been a game changer for us that has been a game changer uh we give i mean we have people now at this point just kind of reaching out to us to work with us and before we even talk to them we're like take the predictive index uh we already know the profiles that don't work well in mm-hmm. our business and nothing that, that doesn't mean anything bad about the person, but there are certain skills that are needed for this job, yeah. which the predictive index kind of helps us filter. And that has been the biggest game changer, to be honest, that sort of initial filter. I love hearing that. I've taken many of those. I've gotten promoted many times, so I'll say that it helped me, but uh, I can see how some people hate them. Right. Yeah. 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 But I'm glad you're doing it that way. And so you're building a world-class team. So You've been open eight years now, and you're really known for creating these ultra luxe trips. How do you then vet clients, right? Because just like you're vetting your team, there's certain clients I'm sure you work with. You don't take everybody on. How do you choose the clients you work with? We don't. So, you know, number one, we're, we're very clear about what we offer. And what not everybody might be looking for what we offer. You know, the, the right client for us is the client that is really looking for a creative itinerary, is not looking for something cookie cutter, is for a client that values the experience, that doesn't see sort of travel as just kind of like a functional thing. And it's also a client that's willing to let themselves be led. You know, sometimes we work with clients and they're like, look, this is all I want. And it's, and they already have it and it's in a square and we're here to add value. And so you have to kind of be willing to receive that value and, 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 and want what we offer. Uh, we also charge a fee to work with us because we, we put in so much work, so much time before, uh, before the planning process, during the planning process. And then when our clients are traveling, we are with them every step of the way. Our team is global. So if the client has, you know, is in, in Europe and they're having an issue at 9 a.m. there, we have a WhatsApp group and somebody on their time zone from our team or from our local partner on the ground is responding. So, you know, we're not the kind of like we don't shut off on the weekend. We're not, you know, shut off after hours. Somebody's always responding. And so 
we charge a fee and that initiation fee as well serves as a filter. You know, you got to be serious about travel and you have to really want what, what we offer. Um, so those are ways. And sometimes there are clients that are looking for what we offer and that can pay the fee, but, but are, have just sort of different style of dealing with people that is disrespectful or unkind or uh, just don't treat our team well. And, and we, we say goodbye. We say goodbye to those clients. You know, we, we love what we do and we have an amazing team, uh, works really passionately. So we also care about how we are treated. I love it. I love yeah. that rule because I was saying way in the hotel, you curse or say a bad word, you can go find another place to stay. You're welcome here. I mean, I do have a lot of clients that curse, but, uh, uh, you know, it's not a different way, but at you aggressively. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Different yeah, than yeah. cursing, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. To make you want to cry. Yeah. But anyhow, you're doing these wonderful trips. Can you give us an example of something that you're really proud of, of trip-wise? I was like, wow, that's like one that really stands out that I've created. Yeah. So one that, oh my God, so many. So I have a client who is, uh, she's she's an art collector, uh, very well-known art collector. She's part of many boards of, you know, some of the largest museums in the world. And she was going to to Copenhagen for art. And again, in the same way that I've always done everybody, just tapping my network, who do you know, who can I get in contact with? I ended up getting connected with the director of Sotheby's in Copenhagen. And I just reached out to her, explained to her who I am and what I do and who this client is. And I ended up planning two days of an amazing art experience where the director of Sotheby's took my client to home, private studios to meet one-on-one with kind of up-and-coming artists who are doing everything, you know, from furniture to paintings to installations. And I, I just love that because not only did I create this kind of amazing and enriching experience for a client who was already very well versed in the art world, but I made an incredible connection for both of them. Uh, you know, for my client meeting this person who's you're just also like just very well connected and it's kind of led to a very enriching relationship mutually so i'm that's just kind of one of the many the the many ones pop in my head yeah and some of them are really simple (laughs) so when you do those kind of things you don't know that person you just look them up you're being curious you call them say hey i've got a great client that wants to do this and you have to pay them or they do it because they want that experience too for for a lot of the more sort of bespoke and unique experiences that we offer no i they they don't i mean like for example in this case of this woman it's not her job to be a tour guide she doesn't say yeah yeah so she in in this case like you know she she didn't charge us anything and and i was transparent with my client i said you know we only charge for our time and sort of pulling this together and managing it and organizing it but but no, and in many, for the most bespoke experiences where I'm reaching out to somebody like that who's not in the travel industry, who doesn't have a job to be a tour guide, that is often the case. That's amazing. Yeah. And I love that you're just thinking about putting those things together because not a lot of people would. So that's why you get that fee and you're creating these amazing experiences for people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've truly lived a life that's unique because you're not like a lot of our interviewees where they've been in hospitality their whole life you've been an attorney you've started businesses from when you're young you've explored different avenues but if you were starting out today and young virgie walked into your office to be on your team what advice would you give to her if she was starting now 
Uh, I would say live, live, live. I think that society has sometimes constrains us with a lot of these expectations of, you know, you need to to pres- this prescription of what success means and this prescription of how life needs to go and in what order. And I just think all that is BS. I think that it's really important to, to live by your own view of what success is. I think success looks different for different people. It's not just about making money. And I think that it is important to live and to listen, to, to, to truly listen to yourself and to what makes you tick and what makes you happy because you really, truly will never, never work a day in your life if you're doing what you love. I think that's great advice. I think that's a great place to end our conversation. Well, Virgie, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to plan one of these amazing trips, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, they could reach out to, to me. My email is Virgie, that's V-I-R-G-I, at luxvoyage.com. Well, I appreciate it. And listeners, make sure to check out her website, see the amazing things they're doing. I don't think you will be disappointed. Birdie, thanks again for joining us. Thanks to you, Steve. I really enjoy chatting with you. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.